Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome to Pod Sauce. I'm Dax Holt. I am Alicia Renee. I'm excited about this next guest. I, I don't know what it is. It's like the commercial DNA testing stuff has me so fascinated. And I feel like I have so many questions yeah. for the, the host of, uh, of this podcast. So the host of the podcast we're going to be talking about is called Biohacked Family Secrets. Mm-hmm. And uh, TJ Raphael is our guest today. TJ, welcome to Pod Sauce. Hi, great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I, I'm going to jump right into it. I want to know first off, well, let, let, give me your definition of what your podcast is about for people that haven't checked it out yet. Yeah, so the podcast explores family secrets that were hidden away for decades and shielded in part by a highly lucrative but largely unregulated sector of the American medical system. Um, and these family secrets are only coming to light now because of at-home genetic testing, things like 23andMe. So in the show, we follow the children, the now adult children of anonymous sperm and egg donors. Some of these people have dozens or hundreds of half-siblings um, in their quest to find their biological relatives and then also learn more about the industry that created them. And in doing so, they're coming into direct conflict with this industry that wants Wants to keep secrecy, that wants to keep anonymity, um, to, that wants to keep it as the standard. So that's uh, the long way of, of yeah. saying what the show is about. Um, it's about a lot of things. It's about science. It's about politics. It's about ethics, yeah. family, sex, relationships, identity. It's so layered, your podcast, TJ. And what I mean by that is I listened to it from beginning to end, right? So the very first story that I heard was the one where the medical student was just like, donating his sperm like three to four times a week. And so he guesstimates he has upwards of maybe 100 children out there, right? And so on one end, uh, the donors should have their right to privacy if they sign over paperwork and children isn't something that they know. They want to be a part of their narrative, but they want to help other people bring life into this world. There's one side of it. And then you have the other side where these children are now adults and they're wondering who they are, right? Someone does something so innocent 
and I'm saying this because this is what is depicted in her podcast, uh, you know, someone does something innocent as gift someone uh, 23andMe, right? And they find that they have siblings out there and it's like, well, did my, who cheated? So did my father, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like my father stepped out on my mother and there's that hurt and that pain and that turmoil. And then you confront your parent only to find out that an infertility is a very sensitive and heavy and challenging thing to and talk formally about. taboo because that's what yes. I, like it's not so much anymore so i think people might well think no of it there's still a lot of taboo around infertility especially on the women the woman's side it's like oh you can't produce mm-hmm. you know <laughs> like you can't bring forth children but in this particular incident you know it's the father who carried the shame of what he felt he wasn't able to give to his wife you understand what I'm saying? And so there's the unfolding of that. Your podcast was beautifully structured in how you showcase those two different dynamics. Um, what are your thoughts on, I don't know if there's, there is a happy medium, but the way you structured this podcast, was that your intention of trying to show maybe we need to work more on finding a happy medium? Yeah, I think um, as the season continues, we go deeper into all of these issues. So it's really interesting you just mentioned, you know, women experience, or it seems that women experience infertility more often, but actually in 40% of all infertility cases, it's male factor infertility. What I meant was we carry the blame. We get the blame. You're right. Yes. They'll blame women before they blame men. Right. And I think that's a common misperception about infertility. Like right. I, New York, if I were, walked down the street and asked 100 people what causes infertility, people would say, oh, it's a women's problem. But really, right. this is, um, you know, a problem for both men and women. Um, and when it comes to this question of balance, I think that's one of the reasons this subject got me so interested in the first place. I don't think it is a black or white issue. I don't think, um, you know, in the case of Amber in our first two episodes, I don't think her parents were to blame as it related to um, the secrecy they were trying to maintain for decades around her true parentage, Um, especially because back in the 80s and 90s, really up until I would say the mid 2000s, doctors were counseling people never tell any this do not tell your child do not tell anyone in your life so for me it really feels like that shame and that stigma was reinforced by the medical community um and so you can't really blame a group of of people or parents for following a doctor's advice because that's what they were following um and also the medical community at that time could have never foreseen something like 23andme i think the human genome wasn't even fully sequenced until 2003. So the idea that somebody could (laughs) mail away for something, spit into a tube and then log on at home on a computer and be able to reveal all of this. I mean, that was at that time in the eighties, literally something out of science fiction. So, but I have to ask you though, TJ, then what are your thoughts on the patient's right to privacy, all patients involved, right? Because if the donor says, this is something that I want to give and I hope that it never revisits me, I mean, thankfully, at least what I've heard thus far, it has worked out for Amber and her now bio sister, right? Uh, he's the, their donor, their donor, is, I guess, should I call him their donor father? Um, yeah, they call him their bio dad. Their bio, okay, so their bio dad, you know, they, he's not trying to come into their lives, you know, to parent. He's more like a good uncle, you know, that they've referred him to as a, a loving uncle, which is great. It worked out for them in that capacity. But his words, not mine. He may have hundreds of other kids out there. And I'm sure that's a weight he doesn't want to take on. So what are your thoughts about the donor's right to privacy? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a really complicated issue in our upcoming episode. We actually have on an anonymous donor who wants to remain anonymous, who wants no contact with his donor offspring. And he's caught in a really difficult dynamic because his mother, who's in her late 70s, did 23andMe, was connected with these uh, his biological children, children yeah. and he never had children and she's like she's from the south she's like oh they're my grandbabies I love them <laughs> and he's like he's like please stop like I don't <laughs> want to talk to them and so it's created a really difficult family dynamic for him um, and I feel for him his name is Mike I feel really deeply for him like he signed up he was 19 years old he was still a virgin mm. and the idea that you know now he has he also donated his sperm three times a week for three years Oof. He could have dozens or hundreds of children out there as well. And he's like, I just want to maintain my privacy. So um, I think that the industry really needs to step up here um, and fill in some of these gaps because you know, both donors and parents and now donor conceived people were working in a system that was created by the fertility industry. And right. I think the fertility need industry needs to be writing a new playbook for how to navigate these issues. Um, you know, uh, the 2021 agenda for the American Society of Reproductive Medicine at their national conference last year, they were still talking about how do we maintain anonymity? How do we maintain privacy? Right. Where, in my opinion, the conversation needs to be you know, how can we make sure all parties are respected, their interests are respected, and what we need to be telling people going forward. Um, and it, it is a really tr tricky situation. I mean, in some cases, um, you know, as it relates to medical history, you know, does a donor's right to privacy supersede, you know, someone with an illness and their desire for medical, family medical information? Hmm. I don't know. These, these are really big ethical questions that I think we're not really taken into consideration when we first started kind of rolling out this practice. I just job. feel like the human aspect overtakes it, right? Like the human need to belong, to have community, right? So you can even look at it in the regard of, you know, a medical situation where you may need a body part or whatever from family or an extended family. I'm pretty sure, and I haven't done this before, I don't think anyone wants what's going on over here, girl, so. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even give it away, honey, you know, let alone sell it. But, um, you know, ideally, when you're filling out the paperwork and correct me if I'm wrong, TJ, you would be more versed in this than, than I just because you've done the research. But ideally, when you're filling out the paperwork to become a donor, you have to give to the best of your knowledge, a full scope of your family history and what your health looks like. And I say that just because in the first story with Amber, am I, uh, what was his name? The donor dad? Kurt. Kurt. He was right. He, he's like, I feel like they sent me this letter under false pretenses. And, you know, that's not fair to him to, you know, to try to play on one. It disrespects his his intelligence, you know, that he couldn't see through it. And then, two, you're using this as a Trojan horse, you know, to get closer to me, which isn't fair to him. Right. But there is some truth in I just want to know if I'm going to get cancer sometime down the line because blah, 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 blah. So what then do you do in a situation like that? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. We actually have our, our new episode, episode six. That's all about that. So in that episode, we have the case of Brittany Johnson. She's now a 32-year-old woman, but she was conceived in the late 80s. Um, when she was six years old, she fell down on a trampoline in extreme pain. Uh, her, her mother you know, took her out of gymnastics class. They went into the bathroom, there was blood in her urine. It turned out she inherited a rare genetic disorder from her sperm donor. After, and her family wanted more medical information because to have symptoms like this at six years old, you know, indicated that she might one day need a kidney transplant to survive. Um, so her parents asked the 
uh, cryobank for more information. They said no because of the donor's anonymity, because of his right to privacy. It took a years-long court battle. And in court records, it wound up being revealed that during his first interview with the clinic, he told them that his mother, his aunt, and his sister all suffered from kidney disease. The clinic wound up selling 320 vials of the donor's sperm. And there's a 50% chance that any child born from this donor will have the same condition. Um, And that is not illegal uh, because there's no law in the United States that says you cannot knowingly sell someone genetic information that are genetic material that is tainted with a rare genetic condition. Um, So that's just not the law. It might be unethical, but it's not illegal. So I think um, as it relates to the medical information aspect, um, you know, that was viewed as a landmark case because it was the first time, um, first time in history that a donor's privacy and anonymity was allowed to be breached um, in a legal sense. Um, but at the same time, that ca- that cryobank that I just mentioned is still the largest cryobank in the world Girl, today. stop! <laughs> yes, no, they are the largest uh, exporter and, and distributor of sperm in the world. It's California Cryobank. I asked to speak with them multiple times and they declined. She's like, what uh, I will do is tell you who it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I will do is let you know who it was. So, so DJ, I want to ask you maybe a silly question, but sure. does someone have to send in their their vial of spit or submit their DNA to be put into the system for people to be able to find them? Or is there some other way that people are being found these days? Yeah, so um, with at-home testing like 23andMe or Ancestry.com, um, if I were to do it, and I, and I have done it, I, especially working on the show, is like, oh my God, is there anything in my background that I don't know about? <laughs> that would make for great material. Um, but yeah, so you can opt in to having relatives connect with you. But, um, you know, if my cousin does 23andMe and I donated, you know, my eggs a bunch of times and have kids out there, they're going to have a genetic match with my cousin. So essentially donors would have to tell every single blood relative within, you know, a one to two degree, um, you know, sphere from them, do not ever do any at-home genetic testing. Mm. Uh, the example I gave earlier with this anonymous donor, his mom did an Ancestry.com test. His mom didn't know that his, her son had been a sperm donor in college. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's a donor offspring there. So, you know, People, individuals can opt out of um, having that familial connection via one of these websites. But you also have to tell every single person that you're related to to opt out as well. Otherwise, you can be found. <laughs> we, we had a bit of a, a family story come out with one of these Are tests. you serious? Yep. And, Talk to me. And, We're listening. And it, it changed. Like, no one saw it coming. It came out of nowhere, and there was a new family member. I got a black cousin out there, huh? <laughs> You got a black cousin. I'll see you at the reunion. You know that, and it brought up a lot of family stories and family secrets that Mm. no one knew about. I'm guessing, like you said, like someone had taken a 23andMe, and this person had come forward and said, "I'm related to you guys." Like (laughs) crazy stuff, and you know, so I, I can see why this this podcast has become so successful because there's a lot of people out there that it resonates with. How often is your phone ringing now with people saying, I want to tell my story? Uh, my inbox 
has gone crazy. We have a listener email address. It's biohacked at 3uncanny4.com. And the listener story. I see what you did there, TJ. I see what you you did there, TJ. Um, But our our inbox is wild. We're actually, in our bonus series, we're actually running next week a listener story um, about a real switched at birth situation that only came to light because of 23andMe. Um, You know, I've been hearing from donor conceived people. I've been hearing from people who their parents were victims of fertility fraud, meaning their Mm. fertility doctor used their own sperm to help that person have a baby uh, without their consent. Mm. Um, Yeah, I've heard from, you know, people who found out that their sister is actually their mother, um, all because of DNA testing. So I think that as uh, at-home genetic testing becomes more accepted, becomes more popular, more and more stories are going to wind up popping up that you know, people had no idea about. And I think people should be, think about this before they take that step to do an at-home genetic test. It seems really fun, but you don't always know what you might uncover. Pandora's box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why she called it Pandora's box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you, you know, you're trying to get treated and you get tricked a lot of times (laughs) along the way. I'll I'll say this before we get into, obviously, you know, with this being a podcast discovery show, we want to know your podcast picks. Uh, Just to circle back on uh, something that you said earlier, I think that would be um, an ethical and maybe a beautiful way to start, right? Mandating full disclosure, right, on familial history, genetically, of what's going on, uh, so that people can have a full window. I, I think that, and I'm not saying that desperate people will do desperate things, but what I'm saying is, is if you give people uh, a choice and you lay out all of their options and then they move forward, at least they can move forward in good faith of knowing I knew what was going on and I still chose to go down that avenue versus I thought I was getting healthy sperm or a healthy egg. And then now some years down the line, my family's having to pay for it because then you can eliminate the need for reaching out to people under the guise of medical because you know what's there and we know how to proceed forward. That's a good ethical way to go forward to start. I think, um, you know, the people like Amber, and we're going to hear more from Amber later in the season because, you know, she's kind of joined with an activist group. They've really taken a page from the adoptee rights movement. um, And they actually have a bill right now in the New York State Legislature that would essentially mandate um, that donors provide actual records to clinics, like from other doctor's offices, Mm -hmm. um, and that they would be legally required to also update their records every 10 years. You know, right now, that's a suggestion, but I was texting the other day with a reproductive endocrinologist who works at a Manhattan clinic, trying to convince her to come on the show. And, you know, she even said to me, donors are supposed to update their records, but not all of them do. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you're 21 donating and you go on with your life when you're 35, when you're 40, like, are you still thinking about that? Um, You know, and if a clinic closes, there's, where would you even go to update them? So I think there's lots of different issues. I think it would yeah, be in the best interest of donors as well who 1,000%. can then avoid these things down the line. Uh, you know, industry professionals that I've talked with say it's going to make things more expensive. And I think, you know, that's a bigger conversation about like for-profit medicine, right? That probably we don't have time for today. <laughs> Give us your top two favorite podcasts you're listening to right now. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite podcasts is 
the Savage Love cast from Dan Savage. I um, have been listening to it for years. It's, you know, sex, love and relationship advice. I love, you know, the messy drama calls that come in. Um, and I just think it's a really fun show. Um, one of my other favorites that I'm listening to right now is Who Weekly. It is like a pop culture podcast. Um, and it talks about, you know, like the most C and B list celebrities. And like, it's they're like, who? Like, why are they famous? Um, so it's really funny and it makes me laugh. So those are two podcasts I'm listening to uh, every week. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> TJ, thank you so much for coming by. If anyone wants to check out TJ's podcast, Biohacked Family Secrets, uh, we'll put up a link on Podsauce. Uh, just a great recommendation. I'm so yeah. glad we got a chance to talk to you. Uh, from beginning to end, you, should, beginning. And you guys should yes. listen to it. That's our secret. Absolutely. So thank you again, TJ. Thanks for having me. a time of renewal so why not refresh your home with a little help from blinds.com we make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact choose from premium blinds shades and shutters we even have options for your patio too Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.